Coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I speak with a law enforcement veteran and discuss ways to make your home safer against intruders. I just want to remind everyone that we drop new episodes on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And as always, I cannot get the show started without the big man across the table. Big Keith is in the house. Keith, how are we doing tonight? Doing well, enjoying my time on this rock. How about you? Doing good, man. I'm My allergies are killing me today, so I may not have that silver tongue that I normally have. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, I, I came into the uh, studio here, and all I smelt was uh, the halls, the menthol. <laughs> and uh, is, that, is it menthol? No, that's in cigarettes. That's going out of cigarettes. I, I think it's in cough drops, too. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. Are they taking it out of cough drops because they're going to take it out of cigarettes? I don't know. Is it the same thing? I mean, I don't know. I mean, menthol, it's like one definition, right? It's not a multi-definition word. That's fair. Well, that well, that went weird. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, you know, I had a, some people um, reach out to me and ask how they could uh, they could support the show. Ah, that's a good question. So uh, we all, we say it on every episode, but obviously, uh, head on over to Apple Podcast uh, if if we deserve it. Give us a five star review, and please, please leave the comments. Right, we love hearing those comments, and we will read them on the show. Um, and then, you know, hit us up on Instagram, follow us on Instagram, recommend to other people. That's also a great way. If you want to reach out to us, there is a contact, uh, section on the website, thegunexperiment.com, but you can also DM me on Instagram and I always respond. I have a lot of people that I've gotten quite friendly with just from social media and DMS and stuff. Um, anything else? I told him to send me cash. Ah, nice. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the other uh, thing that we uh, we were talking about that I had said to the, these two individuals were join the email list on the website. You know, our website's up and running, and uh, it's a great place to listen to the episodes. Uh, and I think that uh, if you can get get on that email list, you'll be able to be able to know what's going on and where we're heading next and what's new and exciting. Definitely. Down the road, we're going to do some contests and some stuff. So, you know, you want to be in the loop on what's going on. Maybe, we, maybe we'll start throwing some bonus episodes out on the email list. You know, yeah. maybe they get first first dibs at bonus episodes. Yeah, we'll work like some that. cool stuff in, but we gotta, we'll build that list up and then we'll figure out some cool stuff for people. So uh, before we get into tonight's interview, I just want to remind everyone that our show sponsor is Resurgent Arms. And uh, go to resurgentarms.com. Of course, you get 12% off with our discount code, Gun Experiment 12. But, uh, you know, aside from all that, I was actually talking to Will uh, this week. And I was trying to remind people, we always talk about their safety. I know you love the safety. Yeah, I mean, I, I just like the general uh, look of it on, on any firearm, whether it's New York or, you know, compliant or not. But, um, you know, it's definitely got some practical uses as well. Definitely. I mean, like, you know, like the, a lot of times with the regular safety that you're used to, you know, I know some people have to sort of shift their grip a little bit, but that safety is really, really uh, ergonomic and you don't have to shift your, your grip at all. And there's like how many colors? There was like... Yeah, they have some cool colors. <laughs> yeah, you could definitely pimp out your gun. So you ready to do this? Yeah, let's make it happen. Cool, man. So our guest tonight is a law enforcement professional with over two decades of experience, including SWAT diving and swift water rescue search and rescue uh emergency management please welcome sean curtis to the show sean how you doing i'm good how are you guys tonight doing excellent thanks for uh joining us for a little while my pleasure so uh let's get right into this thing so how did you get into law enforcement initially was it a was it sort of like you had family on the job or was it just a calling you had how did that start for you 
You know, it's kind of a funny tale. Um, looking at my history in high school, you would have never guessed that I would get into law enforcement. Um, <laughs> I was that goth kid. I uh, <laughs> wore makeup and dressed in black and listened to uh, music that um, people would probably describe as emo these days. But um, <laughs> there was some funny stories that happened in my uh, formative years that really kind of set into play this, uh, this eventuality that would form. Um, as a young kid, I was kind of a bigger kid. I was the tallest one in my class. And so that occasionally caused me to get picked on. And I'd always been taught to not fight in school, right? I was raised pretty soft and, and thought that fighting was, was not what I was supposed to do. And I went home a few times and would tell my parents about this bully that was picking on me that was not nearly as big as me. <laughs> and my parents finally looked at me and they said, if he does that again, we want you to just hit him. Wow. Okay. And I was kind of, I was kind of surprised. Yeah, yeah good was, for your parents. Right. This was the, the hoary days of the 1980s and, uh, and maybe even. They taught you some restraint and then, you know, let, let, let you know when it was time. <laughs> Right, right. So um, it happened. I went back to school and um, this kid came up behind me on the, the soccer field and just hit me right in the back. And, um, you know, something happened that day. Uh, there was a uh, restriction that was torn away. And I remember <laughs> turning around and tracking this kid as he ran and realizing that I was faster than him. <laughs> because I was closing in on him. And when I got to him, I tackled him and I just started beating the crap out of him. Yeah. Now, this was, you know, fifth, sixth grade. So beating the crap out of was, it was excitement was, uh, that day. It was it was relative. You Talk know? of the school for the day. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Well, we both went to the principal's office crying yeah. and uh, parents told the principal about everything that had happened up to that point. And, um, and that was one thing, right? Standing up for myself felt good and, um, it stopped the bullying, yep. but that really was only part of the formation of what was going to be the foundation for everything that happened afterwards. We were at a scout meeting a little while after that incident, probably a couple months after, and uh, the bullying had stopped for me, but this same kid was in my scout group and, um, he called a friend of mine a what we would consider a homosexual slur now. Okay. Um, I didn't even know what that meant at that age, but it made my buddy upset and he started crying, right? We were all young kids. And I looked at this bully that I had jumped on and I said, you know what? Don't do that. And he called me the same name. <laughs> and away we went <laughs> because I <laughs> had learned- two then I wasn't going to do that anymore. And I wasn't going to let that happen. So, so he was again, like a little more prepared. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, we ended up crying, going up to report back to our parents. And uh, of course, my parents considered the situation very grave and uh, they were very concerned because it was at this kid's house that everything happened. And now, and now the second but, time. Right. Right. We, we've got an issue here. But when we got in the car and we were driving home, uh, it was immediately obvious how proud my parents were. And they told me that. And man, I'm going to tell you guys, 
that set something in motion for me. It, it laid a foundation whereby taking care of other people, standing up for other people who maybe weren't strong enough for themselves would equate to love for me on a, on a psychological level. And, and it's taken me probably the better part of a couple of decades to understand that. Yeah. You know, as I'm listening to you and I, that, that story was, you know, as a kid, I was bullied as well. You know, I think a lot of kids were, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a very powerful story, but it shows your, um, passion came from this story and it created your desire to help other people. Now we know that yeah. obviously with law enforcement, we know that, you know, guns is a big part of this, right? Yeah. So are firearms, uh, have they been a part of your personal life, uh, Sean, or, or just part of your job? Absolutely. Um, I was raised uh, kind of in two different uh, genres, I guess you could say. I was raised in the city uh, just south of St. Louis in Missouri, but I was also brought up on a farm in uh, northern Arkansas. And so when I would spend time on the farm, you know, we had 22s and stuff like that. So I was brought up around shooting and hunting. Um, Didn't do a whole lot of it myself, but it was certainly not foreign to me. And, uh, of course, when I got into law enforcement, it was uh, a much deeper level. And uh, I even evolved over the years as I proceeded through my career. Um, You can have a cop go in and do their job, but uh, you're not always going to have the tackleberries, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's kind of a misconception. A lot of people think that cops... Uh, they know everything there is to know about guns. Yeah. And no, there's my, plenty that don't know a damn thing. Yeah, my, my father-in-law uh, was a, you know, retired police officer and he, you know, only ever had his his uh, department-issued firearm and gave it back in when he retired. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're a firearms instructor, I, correct, Sean? I am, yeah. I uh, became a law enforcement firearms instructor about seven years ago. Uh, and so I started teaching the people that work in my office and... Um, teaching at the uh, local police academy also. You also uh, write articles. Is is that a hobby that turned into a job or just something you've always been good at? Man, it's um, I've always been drawn to writing, just telling stories. It's been a lot of fun for me. But um, it's about 70 years ago, there was an email that came out from Police One and they were looking for writers. Well, between all my years in uh, the sheriff's office working in search and rescue, working in EMS, fire, and all the other different disciplines, I had a lot of stories to tell. And so I started writing stories for them and they published them. And I thought, hey, this is pretty cool. They uh, published about two or three of those stories. And I finally said, "Um, you think I could maybe get paid for this? (laughs) And uh, thankfully they were like, yeah, let's, let's do that. So I started writing for them uh, back in 2014, and I've been writing for them ever since. Well, I was I was you know reading a couple of your articles, preparing for you know the interview, and the the two that I would recommend to any of the listeners to go check out were uh, the How to Survive a Carjacking. You know, it's something Mike and I have talked on the show before with another guest, and um, yeah. and your co- your lockdown rifle build. Uh, I thought that was really, really good. You had some great detail in there, and uh, it looks awesome, by the way, but you you talked about some of the struggles you had with the gas block and and the lower, and I thought it was really good. Thanks, man. Thanks. It's been a a really cool journey. Um, When I started writing for Police One, that led to other opportunities, 
And um, the next thing I knew, I was writing for Gun World after I had met some really experienced uh, writers at another uh, writer event. And uh, so I went from digital to print. Uh, and since then, I've been working for, I work for Gun World. Uh, I write for the Glock Annual. I write for American Survival Guide. Uh, those are the three print magazines. And then, of course, you know about Police One. I also write for Pew Pew Tactical. And I uh, wrote for guns.com for a while, too. So I got a, I have a question for you. Um, Shoot. We had a guest on a while back, uh, Keith alluded to with the carjacking. And one of the things he had mentioned was a good, I guess I would call it a preventative tool, a flashlight. And he talked about all the things that a flashlight is good for and <clears throat> how you could, you know, basically put in someone's eyes, use it as a way to kind of like... Um, keep someone at bay, kind of keep their eyes from, you know, looking at what you're doing and, and so on and so forth. And after that interview, I bought a small Streamlight flashlight. Beautiful, some tiny, easy to carry. I knew I wouldn't carry if it was big. And where I'm going with this is, you know, as I go down the rabbit hole of, of EDC carry stuff and you start talking about the gun, extra magazine, pocket knife, which I always have on, right? And flashlight. And, yeah, before you know it, it's like, you know, there's some people, I'm like, holy moly, like you're carrying, you know, you need a bat belt, right? And as an officer, you guys have a duty belt. But as a civilian, yeah. you know, it's not so easy. So my question for you is this. First off, um, what do you recommend the average person carry? What are the tools that you think you should have? And then sure. do you have any tricks in terms of you know, ways to carry them. I mean, like that guy had recommended like cargo pants, but I'm like, I wear like skinny <laughs> jeans and I'm like, a, like <laughs> uh, I'm out of dress code if I'm wearing cargo pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so what yeah, are you, what yeah. are some tricks and tips you might have for us and the listeners? You know, here, here's the first place to start. And, and that is a realistic analysis of what you might run into, right? A, a true threat assessment. If you are working in a non-pervasive environment or a less than favorable scenario where you might encounter a gunshot wound, then you need to have a tourniquet or two and maybe some combat gauze um, and maybe a couple of chest seals, something like that. If you're not, then you probably don't have to have that stuff immediately on your person, but you should probably have it somewhere close, right? Yep. One of the things that I always say is um, live by the gun, die by the gun. And, and those who have experience with firearms, if they're compelled to utilize those firearms, there is a risk that they will receive the result of other firearms. Right. Mm -hmm, I mean, right. That, that's just goes. It, it's part of it. So cause and effect, right? Yeah. You've got to be able to um, no harm in both spellings you know should someone carry uh you know a knife a flashlight or is that overdoing it would you say no i i think it really depends on your situation yeah. um you know if you're a guy that works uh, eight to five and you're home a lot you're not going to be out during the night then a flashlight might be overkill for you if it's small enough um i know that there's some companies that make some pretty small lights that um have a, like a dual setting, right? Where one is really powerful, but it's not going to last very long. That might be a good uh, compromise for you. You really have to uh, reason out what you're going to uh, experience in your average day-to-day -day 
to help build your EDC. Because if you look at something like, think about moving for a second, it's kind of a good corollary. If you have something going on and you're moving and you have this room full of stuff that you have not used for a year or two, um, what are you doing with that stuff? What value is it bringing to your life, right? Now, there's always that situation that's going to potentially pop up where you're going to say, oh, my God, um, if you would have had this, it would have been so much better. I will say one of the things for me is like, in an ideal world, all that stuff is great, but I kind of pick and choose me. If I'm going to the beach, the reality of it is, you know, I just can't carry this stuff on me. And I'm not, I'm just taking a chance that hopefully nothing happens. I know some guys go nuts, yeah. but you know, if I'm going, if I'm going out at night, flashlight makes a lot more sense. If it's the middle of the day, sure. sometimes I'm like, man, I don't need the flashlight right now. So I yeah. have, I have more of a question about how you assess, you know, like, you know, you were talking about really, truly understanding what what you might encounter, right? The the risks right. that might that you might fall uh, along the way. How do you really start to even think about those things? So, like, if I say to myself, "All right, I'm, you know, I'm going to the grocery store, and the grocery store that I'm going to is, you know, in a part of town that's not that great. Does that have more risk in a part of town that does, or should I really just prepare for it every single time because?" You, you know, am, am I making any sense with how am I assessing some of these risks or what are what are some of the risks I should assess? Because some people would say yeah. you never know when evil's going to yeah, strike and you yeah. have to always be prepared. <laughs> well, personally, I, I personally I try to ABC, right? Always be carrying. I mean, that's just my personal right. choice. I mean, when I from the moment I got my pistol permit and was able to do so, I've tried to do it almost all the time. I certainly forget, sure. you know, yeah. but uh, assessing some of those risks and what risks should we assess? Yeah. So I think, you know, you give the scenario of um, going to the grocery store in the middle of the day, maybe in a place that's not uh, not a good neighborhood or something like that. So if you're carrying, that's half the battle right there. Right. At least if you're armed, you can potentially address a threat. Um, You need to decide up front what your rules of engagement are, though. And, and, And I think that's kind of a topic that doesn't get addressed a lot yeah um no that's that's actually you, a good point that that's really i think as you were talking about, about that's exactly where i was going was, was yeah that. are are you potentially willing to engage mm-hmm. in a encounter with someone who has drawn a weapon or is potentially threatening lethal force right um there's and, there's and that might, the and that decision might be different whether or not you have your kids with you or whether or not oh sure right oh man yeah it better be yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> because yeah it's a lot more complicated for me the big three is you know if i'm going to carry obviously the firearm i like i always have a pocket knife on me at almost all times and we always joke i open more amazon boxes than anything else but it's really a, it's, yeah. a, it's a tool that's good for so many things and then the flashlight has really become pretty uh, pretty much a staple for me and with that, I just realized all the value it has. It's, oh, I might drop my keys right. out of my car, but it's also, hey, the guy's coming up to me for money, but is he really, what's, you know, I'm getting a little threatened sure. and it's lights in the eyes. So it, it it has a double function. So a lot of the things I use, they're good for every day, but they're also good for that tactical. Yeah. And that for, therefore it makes sense for me in my mind. Yeah, and yeah. I, I like where Sean's talking even about just really, you know, I think we talked a lot about this with Rob Pincus, you know, just trying to decide what are you going to, you know, if, if you really get in, in, into one of these encounters, what are you going to do? Are you going to run and hide? Are you going to engage? Or what things do you need to um, 
have happened for you to engage? You know, what is your boundaries, right? Stuff like that, Sean, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, going back to the example that you guys gave me, um, if you carry a, a firearm and extra ammo and you also carry a knife and a flashlight, you don't really lose anything, right? You're, yeah. you're not walking around like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. You're not um, tripping over all the crap that's hanging off of your bat belt. That's not difficult to do. But when you start branching out, um, that's when it starts to get a little more, to be a little more of a question, right? So if you have um, a tourniquet or two, uh, if you have combat gauze, can you stage that? That's one of the things that you were talking about with the uh, going to the beach example, right? How quickly can I sprint to my vehicle or can I have someone sprint to my vehicle and grab my kid in my car? You know, that that should go into your equation about what you have available to for you. me a really long time because i always park the farthest i possibly <laughs> can park from the entrance so but you know what right. if you're shopping with the wife throw it in her purse yeah. that's yeah. an easy yeah. one right yeah yeah. So. yeah i mean so it's 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 kind of that you don't necessarily have to have something on your person but um it's more important i think to front load the thinking about what you're going to do should a scenario pop up good before advice, yeah. you uh deal with what gear you're supposed to have with no, you. Yeah. And, and then on top of that training, I think above all training, I mean, if you have um, two, three, four tourniquets, combat gauze, chest seals and everything else, but don't, know but how you to don't use really it. know how to use them. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, that's, Man. that's probably the most overlooked thing. And, and, you know, even Mike and, and myself have challenged ourselves to get more training on that stuff. And Good. we've fallen a little short, but we got it. We, we, we do have to get on it. What what has been um, your favorite department issued firearm or firearms that you've uh, that you've had some experience with? What are your favorites? Man, that's tough. Um, I've worked in three different agencies now, and most of them I've been able to choose my firearm. Um, I I've carried a nineteen eleven for a while. Uh, I really liked that at the time for its accuracy. Um, but Glock by far has been my regular go-to. Uh, but I've also got to say that most recently I've been carrying the Walther PDP uh, and, um, I absolutely love it. I saw your review on that. You did a review at a, at a range on that one. So that's interesting to hear you say that. Yeah. Um, it just, uh, the ergonomics, uh, the trigger, the reliability, the accuracy, it hits a lot of those markers that, uh, law enforcement officers look for, I uh, noticed they said lore. There's an R at the end. Law enforcement officers look for at the end uh, when you're assessing a, a duty pistol. Yeah. So I want to go back to something you mentioned uh, before Keith had asked that question. You were talking about training a bit. So you have a ton of training. Like if we look at your resume, I mean, you've had lots of departmental trainings. Um, so I kind of geek out on that stuff a little bit. And if a civilian wanted to be as prepared as possible, so, you know, let's, let's go just to, for arguments, you know, we want, this guy wants to be James Bond. He wants to have all the skills, you know, possible. What categories of training would you recommend and in what order? Man, that's tough. Um, you know, in self-defense, if that's the category that you're kind of talking about or, or preparation. Oh, overall, so you could throw in survival, you could throw in medical, you could throw in firearms, hand-to-hand combat, whatever you want. So, so Katie, bar the door. Here we go. Um, I, I'm going to throw it all out there. All right? Go for it. I love it. You have, 
a number of areas in physical self-defense that you need to get trained in. Um, one is just physical capability, right? Um, when I was uniform, uh, especially toward the latter part of my years in uniform, I was fit. Um, in fact, I survived some pretty horrific medical situations because I had a level of fitness that was above and beyond, right? So let's start there as a baseline. You're not the first you person we've heard say that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. You need to start there. Um, that is the simple baseline to, to accomplishing anything. From there, you need to learn how to fight. Um, you need to know some stand-up. You need to know some jujitsu or wrestling or something that's going to help you when you're out on the ground, right? Then if you have a basic understanding of those two things, move into firearms, right? Let's talk about um, uh, edged defense, right? How to not only to defend against a knife attack, but also how to use a knife to defend yourself. Um, move up from pistol to rifle, master the shotgun, look at long range. There's a progression here, right? Yep. And then, Medical training is is critical. Uh, it is not nearly as sexy <laughs> as some of the stuff that we've just talked about, but uh, it is amazing to me how many people stand around with their mouths wide open when some real shit cracks off. Somebody just drops in the middle of the street and everybody's looking around like, oh my God, what should we do? <laughs> now, maybe three or four people will get on their phones and start calling 911, but nobody knows how to get down and make an assessment of their patient, look at what's going on, try to pick up what symptoms are happening, and then make a diagnosis about how you need to treat that. Everyone right? else is uh, uh, live, Facebook living it and uh, you know recording it. <laughs> Sure. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of that, unfortunately, that goes on. Now, if you're lucky and you live in a jurisdiction where you have emergency medical dispatchers, you might call 911 and have someone walk you through how to assess and what to do. But the reality is you're not always going to have that option and uh, it may not be available in your area anyway. So get some. Wait a minute. Sometimes those, sometimes those services take time to get to you. <laughs> wow. Okay. Let, let me put it this way. Who would ever think I that? I don't live in New York and I don't know where you guys <laughs> live exactly. Uh, but I know that there are some places in, in Northern New York, at least that are a little bit remote. No, we're, we're, um, we're joking because we had on uh, cousin Brian and we were this, we, we talked about this idea of, you know, living he, in a rural area. Well, he lives in New York. Okay. He's my, my okay. wife's cousin. He lives in New York, but he lives in New York so far away. They don't have a police department. The, the See, state troopers cover. And he literally estimates that it would be at least probably 45 minutes before somebody came. If he called, yeah. Yeah. So uh, some of the situations that I encountered in search and rescue, uh, if you had an emergency up on the side of a mountain while you were up trying to hunt elk, yep. uh, it would take a helicopter 30 minutes to come and pick me up and then another 30 minutes to get me up to where you were. And, um, you know, if it's not too bad and you're able to stabilize yourself, I might be able to get you um, package you and then get you out. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, <laughs> hey, not everybody, everyone goes, travels in places where they're, uh, 15 minutes away from uh, a major trauma hospital. Along your law enforcement career, I'm sure you've, you know, we, we along this training, uh, topic that we're on, talk to me a little bit about what has been the required training for, for the firearms that you use. Be, M Mike and I have, have talked to a few law enforcement people and 
some of the things we've heard about common everyday police officers, the average gun owner shoots more than, than they're required. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So, um, and I'll kind of throw in a little bit of a, um, uh, boost for myself here on Pew Pew tactical. I recently started a, um, a column called the blue brief and I write about law enforcement issues. Um, some of them are a little more popular than others. Like one we recently wrote about was the militarization of the police. Right. Uh, that, that drew a man like flies, man. People came to read about that. Uh, yeah. uh, one of the ones that I'm going to write about coming up is training in law enforcement. And um, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, there is not a national standard. Yep or sometimes even a state standard for the amount of training that's required for law enforcement officers. After they come out of uh, the academy, wanted, right? Like you, you have to do certain things to get through the academy, but when you come out, some, sometimes there's nothing. Yeah, that's it, man. That, that's it. In some states. Now, there are requirements that typically indicate that you are supposed to at least go out and train on um, a certain amount and, and at least at a minimum – uh, qualify to show that you can achieve the um, agency standard that is established by your firearms instructors and approved by your chief. And, and that's not always, uh, it's not always a lot or really good. How did that, how did we get there? You know, uh, now that I'm old enough and, and to understand some of these concepts. It's got to be budgetary, right? It's got to be part oh, of it has to be budgetary. God, is that disappointing? Yeah, Keith, that's, 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 Part of it, certainly, but let's say that we took, uh, and I don't even know how many law enforcement agencies we have, but it's thousands, lot, right? Yeah. Let, let's let's say that we took several thousand law enforcement agencies, or, or just several thousand people, and we started them in a line, and we said, "Hey, um, race to the west. Uh, we don't know where the finish line is, <laughs> and just do the best that you can." Right? Mm-hmm. If, if that gives you an idea. That, that's kind of what it's looking like. Now, granted, there are things like uh, Supreme Court rulings uh, that come down. There are lawsuits that have occurred. And unfortunately, law enforcement is almost a wholly reactive um, type of field. Sure. So when people die, when um, law enforcement officers die, when law enforcement agencies are sued, then things start to change. That's that's how change is affected. It, it's pretty rare that we have progressive leadership that looks at things and says, okay, we need to do better here. Um, so it, that's part of the answer too. Budget is absolutely an issue, but if you take the least utilized skill, but also the one that has one of the most, the highest uh, liabilities like firearms, um, you would think that I think we would try to do better as a whole, yeah. but that's not always the case because, uh, like I said, there is no necessarily state standard that um, says that an officer is supposed to be able to do this, that, or the other, right? You might have a sheriff's office uh, that borders exactly next to another sheriff's office. And their firearm standards could be totally yeah. different. No, I we've heard that. We've, yeah, I I that. think part of this is, you know, you said about the average, you know, not the average, but a lot of gun owners shoot more than a lot of police officers. Right? And I think the reason why is because if you're a gun owner like yourself, let's say, 
you are a gun owner because you really enjoy it. There's a lot of cops I know. They're not even gun guys, but it's just part of the job. So it's right. they're they are only shooting when they're required because they're required. Yeah. Where you're shooting a lot more than them because you truly enjoy firearms. There, there, there is some truth to that, right? Yeah. Like I, I love shooting shotgun. I love shooting trap. We all right. know that, you know. Um, but and I don't shoot my pistol enough, you know that I that I probably. I'll bet should. you still shoot more than but most. I, but I was just gonna say I still probably do. I probably shoot at least five hundred yeah. rounds no. a year, maybe a thousand, you know, out of the pistol alone. Yeah, right. no, I, I would definitely agree with that. No, no doubt about it. You know, I mean, okay. So let, let me put some numbers on that, then, gentlemen. Let Let's say that an agency requires you to qualify once a year, and that qualification is thirty eight or forty rounds. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah. And there are standards out there like that. Um, yeah. Now you're going to have uh, those folks who are perhaps hoplophobic. Not necessarily law enforcement folks who don't care for firearms, right? They yep. they see it as a tool. They have to learn how to use it, and they have to qualify. They have to meet that standard, but they don't really push the boundaries. And then you have the meat eaters. <laughs> These are the guys who are constantly blowing up the Sarge, saying, hey, Sarge, I got to get out and do some more training, right? <laughs> Give me a box of ammo. Yeah. Give me a <laughs> box of ammo. I got to go out here. So uh, these are the guys that will go out and they will find the 40 hour SWAT school and they will find the tactical rifle school and they will find the hostage rescue schools and they will train with the most top end people that they can possibly find. There's definitely, there's definitely uh, two ends of the spectrum. Well, I was say. just going to say, oh, I, mean, I think it's great that we have that too, but to your point, we really need to do a better job being in the middle, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and the funny thing is, it's almost like um, there's an equation to employment, right? You, you have about 80% of your employees, let's say your cops in this situation, who are going to do their job. They're going to do it well, and um, you don't have to talk to them that much. But there are the ones that you have to kick in the butt mm -hmm. just to get them to qualify and go out and train. And, and maybe they're a little bit nervous. Um, maybe they don't feel comfortable with their gun. Uh, but then there's also that 10% that <laughs> if you let them, they will shoot all of your ammo. Hey, right, exactly. <laughs> so I want to tap in a little bit into the search and rescue start, uh, part of what you have done. Um, yeah, man, shoot. So what initial steps should a person take when they find themselves lost either in the wilderness or possibly maybe abducted uh, to enhance their odds of being rescued? So. Panic. Yeah, yeah, panicked. How about I, I think that's the wrong answer. Just <laughs> I'm not trained. Works. I'm not trained, but I think that's the wrong answer. <laughs> okay, so before you drop me into that scenario and have me explain that out, it's because I said panic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We're not going to panic just yet. Um, the biggest thing that you need to do is be familiar with your area, okay? If you're gonna be hunting in a certain area or if you're gonna go out and hike, you've got a, a GPS waypoint or you just basically know where you're going, um, look at, and, and there's no reason why you can't nowadays, especially with, let me, let me put it to you like this. When I first started search and rescue, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have um, Google Maps just say, to yeah. go, oh, yeah, that guy's up on Bear Mountain. Oh, I've been there a thousand times. I know exactly what that looks like. Let me get a GPS waypoint set there and we'll fly there in the helicopter. <laughs> um, so preparation is your first 
step. Uh, you need to prepare. And part of that is knowing how to get into the area and how to get out of the area, right? Another step in preparation is telling someone what your plan is, right? Setting a drop point to where if I'm not out and calling you by this date at this time, you need to start calling someone. You need to call the authorities and tell them that I've had an issue. Uh, tell them that my car is parked at this trailhead. Tell them that this is what I will be wearing and tell them that this was my destination and when I was supposed to get out, right? Um, there's a lot of preparation that can go into your trip well before you go out there and start marching around or doing whatever it is that you intend to do that is going to pay massive dividends for you. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is it's the whole ounce of prevention sort of a thing, which is a beautiful, it's a beautiful segue into my next question, actually. So mm -hmm. I've been geeking out a little bit on, um, uh, what they refer to as get home bags. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm kind of curious. I, I kind of would like to build one for my truck, maybe another one for my wife's car, more my truck, you know. Sure. So, you know, priorities, my truck. <laughs> 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 Sorry, honey. I know you might listen to this episode. That's uh, okay. Um, but what are some items that you would really recommend go into a get home bag? Okay. So, again, it's going to absolutely depend on your environment. So let's go with general. You, you don't, you don't, you're driving all over. You don't know where you're going to be when things go bad. Give me a general list. Okay. So I would say the ability to collect and cure water. Okay. Right. So some kind that's on, that's of on canteen choice. or something like that. A purifier, um, right? To go with that. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to want to have the ability to make fire. Mm-hmm. We would call and interview reporting parties uh, for people who were lost in the woods uh, up in, uh, in the mountains of Colorado. And we always rejoiced when we heard that someone was a smoker. Now, I know that's not necessarily PC <laughs> no, and people have sense. certainly moved away from smoking since then. But we always knew that they had the ability to, to make, make fire. fire. Now, yeah. now it doesn't so, matter because they're vaping. <laughs> Oh my it's God, true. that's horrible. Um, so a vape is not going to cut it unless you know how to use <laughs> not gonna those save your life to create a spark. <laughs> not going to save your life. <laughs> I'm not going to get smoke signals at 12 o'clock at night. <laughs> All right, so we have water, we have fire. I like those. What else we got? Water and fire. Yeah, some type of food, right? Um, you're going to want to be able to address basic medical issues. Okay. Foods like high protein Whatever. bars, stuff like that. Yes, or even like those bags, like like an MRE or like a bag, like those mountain house well, they're, bags. They're, they're small. They're big uh -huh. protein that you can get a couple yeah. days out of a small thing, you know? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it might suck. You know, you, you can almost imagine that whatever you're going to run into that's going to have you call on that bag to get yourself out of, it's going to suck. So ration it, make the most out of it. But your biggest priority is water, believe it or not. Um, unless you have a heater or a cold emergency, you're going to have to be able to provide yourself with plenty of water. So get home bags are, are a good thing. Talk, uh, t talk to us a little bit about um, how can people support, you know, our police forces against, you know, the deep defund police movement? Uh, I'm assuming that delivering donuts to the police station is not enough. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about that. That's um, slow down, Keith. Slow down. A, we might want the donuts. A complicated subject, you know. Um, I would say first off, take a good look at what's going on. Um, I'm not going to assume now, maybe you guys are, 
but I'm not going to assume that everyone who's listening to this podcast is necessarily on that side of automatically supporting the police or we're going to reach out and we're going to want to support the police. That's true. Um, uh, unfortunately, what happens in law enforcement is that there are experts, right? There are people called criminologists who study what happens in our society as it pertains to the laws that we have established as a community and the enforcement of those laws. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that law enforcement gets it right 100% of the time, but I do maintain that the majority, the vast majority of law enforcement officers are out there doing one of the hardest jobs in this nation, and they mean the best when they're out there doing it, right? They're o- trying to Overwhelmingly help so. Definitely. Agreed. Yeah. But if you're not necessarily there, uh, then don't don't buy into the narrative. Don't mm. buy into the invective that is continually put out through either mainstream media or the um, social media that you might run across. You know, so you, you, you know, we're from New York and uh, you know, we have a, a neighbor who's a friend who's uh, an NYPD cop. And, you know, some of the stories that we've heard from him about what's going on down there, it just really, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, you know, you want to think of ways to, you know, to, to just be supportive of them. But to your point, you know, obviously there's no need to, to go crazy about something that's not there in your backyard if it's not there. Right. Yeah. But here's the thing. Um, you could, and this is kind of funny and I'm going to split off here in just a couple of seconds. One thing for sure is what I'm trying to get a point across to you is basically don't buy into anything that anyone is saying. If you're really curious, if you want to support or if you're interested in supporting, do a ride along. Mm. Um, look at some of the uh, citizen law enforcement programs that are out there. Get involved with your agency and see what they're up against. Um, the thing that I brought up about criminologists is, mm-hmm. is amazing. There are a lot of different experts in various fields And, uh, you know, years ago, if you wanted to know something uh, about space, you would go to Stephen Hawking or you would go to Neil deGrasse Tyson or or various people. No one listens to criminologists. Let me repeat that. No (laughs) one listens to criminologists. Gentlemen, why do you think that is? Lack of interest? I mean, I really don't know. So that's part of it, right? But the other side is that the way we respond to criminal situations in our community is often polarized by one's politics. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Right? You know, so Keith, if, I, I, I'm go ahead. So, so sorry, I don't interrupt, but you know, you ask like, what can we do? And I think sometimes, the, you know, we had uh, Mike the Cop on and, you know, the one organization he's with has those cards that yeah. I, yeah. I bought, you know, and, yep. and they basically say like, thank you, officer, we need you. And sometimes I think, you know, the media has a way of making it so that anybody, not just police officers, but in this case, police officers, they have a way of making you feel like you just don't have a place anymore. So I yeah, think one terrible. of the ways you can support cops is to just honestly say thank you. Like, you yeah. know, just go, go out of your way to let them know that they are not alone and that there are people who don't follow that narrative. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sure. You, you got, I, I don't know, you know, uh, I, we don't, we don't talk about like, current events all the time on the show but you know recently 
uh, you know, that whole group of of Portland uh, police officers all resigned. Yes. You know, and yeah. it's very Donna. disappointing to hear that things like that. Yeah. Right. Um, and I don't, and I'm not so disappointed necessarily in the sense that I'm worried about my safety because we, you know, we're responsible for ourselves. Yep. But, Amen. Um, but it's it's just you know. It just seems to me that it's heading down the wrong path, and I don't buy into the narrative completely, Sean, one hundred percent. But again, when you have somebody who, who like, like I was talking about before, that works directly for you know New York City and and describes some of the things that are going on, it is happening some places. But again, is it out of proportion? Probably. It's like when we talk to that particular neighbor, it's it hits home for us. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But I think right. I think I think the best you can do is support the best way you can show them that you care and that there isn't that narrative isn't across the board you know what i mean and i don't know i mean you know you did the job sean but i mean i think you 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 would probably agree that you know it feels good when somebody tells you that you're you know that they recognize what you do oh absolutely man because you got to stop and think about this um our last five interactions really change how we approach the day, right? Think about your days today, what you guys went through. At the end of the day, you were in a mood, right? (laughs) One way or the other, maybe it was up, maybe it was down, maybe it was somewhere in between. But when you have people who are either twerking on your patrol car or (laughs) shooting at you, or um, calling you pig or other things, look, you know what, that's part of it, that's, (laughs) <laughs> out of, out of those that's three, part of it. And I kind of think it depends on the dancer, but um, that's true. That's, that's fair. True. That's fair. Regardless, regardless, um, it's going to shape your attitude and, and it's going to have an effect on you. So yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I agree with that. And I appreciate I, that. I think if you have if someone, you tell someone, thank you for your service and, and thank you for what you do. Then we know that at, at least more than likely, you're not someone who's going to try to shoot us. There you go. There you go. So Sean, where can people find you? I, I tried to actually find a lot of your social media and stuff, but I couldn't find much out there. Where do people find you? Oh man, I'm sneaky like that. Yeah, so you are. I have. Don't a worry. I, company. I, I understand. <laughs> yeah, I have a company called Ludus Integritas. So that's L U D U S I N T E G R I T A S. And uh, that is the company that I write under for all of the different publications that I work for. Um, you can get me Ludus Integritas on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm never on Facebook, but I dump there and also on Twitter. Awesome. So basically you, you came up with a name that no one could spell and will never be able to search you ever. <laughs> there you go, man. That's, that's, that's a good way to do it. My so, that's my style. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so Sean, of all of our guests, you might be one of the first people who's ever come so prepared that I don't even have to tell you what run and gun is. Cause you already know. Are you down Let's to do play this, running baby. game? Yeah. I like it. <laughs> I all got right. You. Here we go. Number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? I have a BCM Rescue 9 that I absolutely love. It's chambered at 300 blackout. And right now that is my favorite home defender. What gun would you buy if money was no object? Probably a 50 Barrett for my wife. (laughs) (laughs) If you could have a drink with one person living or dead, who would it be? Oh man, you're killing me with this one because um, I'm a big fan of Samuel Clemens. Or Mark Twain, but I, I think if you really put me down to just one person, it would have to be Hunter S. Thompson. Okay. Favorite caliber? <sighs> right now, 300 blackout. 
Favorite hobby, not gun related. Oh, I like reading. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I'm going to have to say invulnerability. All right. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Trained, because <laughs> I can get armed after that. <laughs> Is it better to be loved or feared? Loved. Nice. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Rifle, baby. Uh, I love both of the others, but it's got to be a rifle. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? My wife is the only answer for me. <laughs> oh, okay. Good man. Let's mix it up. All right. So tonight on Let's Mix It Up, we are going to discuss how to make your home more impenetrable against intruders. And this is something I've wanted to do for a while. I've wanted to do a piece on um, basically uh, hardening your home. And I have, my, I have some ideas and stuff, but I, I do want to obviously pick your brain. Um, my approach is always what I call the onion approach. I like to make layer after layer after layer. There you go. And, you know, yeah, absolutely. if I do things right, by the time I ever have to use a firearm, I can say, look at all the chances this person had to not get to this point. Um, so let's start outside and we'll go inside. And where... Sean, where would you start outside? You, know, you buy a brand new home. There's nothing there. Uh, let's say you built a home. What do you start with? What are you going to do first? One of the first things that if you have any control over, you might pick is neighborhood, right? What kind of standoff does your residents have from points of egress? Um, do you have a long driveway? Do you have a short driveway? Can people park their car right in front of your house because it's that kind of street and it wouldn't seem weird at all. Um, that's one of the first things that I would look at. I mean, if you really want to push this out, um, that's where I would start. That would be one of the things that I would look at because do you have a defensible position from the areas where someone might start to approach your residence? How about some, you know, cheap upgrades? Like I've always, one of the, th the things that I was, uh, that I've always bought into and I think is super easy. And even if you're not, you know, mechanically inclined and repair inclined are thicker, bigger door hinge screws. Oh man, that's, yeah, uh, that is absolutely one of the best things that you can do. Right. But before we even get to that point, um, you know, there's a lot of companies now that provide internet service that also provide you with security cameras. Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. They are not as expensive. Um, I have several right now, uh, actually three, on the points of entry into my home. And they provide me with, like like you said, my uh, overlapping security where I can look at them and see what's going on. Uh, but that's, that's not even my primary method of alert. Can you, can you keep those off of, um, you know, like, can you keep those on like a private network where they're not accessible through the internet or are they only that way? I'm just curious. You know, I don't really know. It, it's, it's through a provider called Xfinity. And, um, I imagine that if somebody wanted to hack, they could probably get into them, but what are they going to see the outside of my house? Yeah, no, I know you're right. I'm just, I just, I, I'm really off of that wagon. Totally. I, I don't know. I hear you. You know, 
Yeah, it it is weird that there's you, like cameras I, everywhere. I, you know, it's weird. Yeah, I mean, I know you can get you know you can get private CV what the closed circuit yes, ones. Yes. You know, sure, but they're yeah. a little bit more pricey. They're a little bit more. You know, Keith, you mentioned like what are some of the free easy things? You mentioned the door hinges, which is a, is a great one, right? Yeah. Some of the other ones, like people ignore this, but like lit pathways and like keeping yep. the bushes trimmed so that it's not like you know someone can't just hide in bushes and you, you know, like your bushes thicker though you yelled at the landscaper for <laughs> to trim i do but i would say they're trimmed they're not like they're not like <laughs> no, taller than a person that's right okay. and and okay. the other the other one is this one burns my butt a little bit we have a neighbor who's who's ex-law enforcement uh-huh. and <laughs> one of the ones that i'm always like man how do you let this happen lock your dang ladder up like one of the ways someone oh, can get yeah. in your house is like through an upper window because no, a lot of people don't lock their upper windows. Yeah. But then when you leave the ladder in the front yard, it's <laughs> like you're almost saying like, hey, come take my stuff. You know, like lock the dang ladder away. Well, it doesn't cost you yeah. anything. Our neighborhood's pretty good. It is. But it just made me laugh that he's in yeah. you know, ex-law enforcement. He's sure. got a ladder right in the Right up on the window. Yeah. Yeah, very well, maybe that's his. Maybe that's his like onion. Maybe that's his first. Like he goes, you come through that window. Maybe right. he's got a short onion, right. a small onion, small onion. Yeah. He's, he's got a plan for that. If he hears that ladder rattling around, he's going to grab his 38. There you yeah. go. All right. So we have, you know, beefed up doors. We have, you know, keeping clear pathways. <laughs> Lock your ladder up. Video camera. But video, <laughs> that's right. We have your, your initial alerts. Now, I like personally, especially at nighttime, I like an alarm system because to me, the alarm system, A, wakes me up and B, tells them, now we know you're here. It, it kind of, for oh, me, yeah. serves two functions. Okay, I'm going to hit you guys with something. We talked about um, favorite um, recreation outside of what we're talking about tonight, right? And I mentioned books. Sure. Mm-hmm. Have you guys heard of a book called The Gift of Fear? No. no. Buy The Gift of Fear and read it. What What is um, it about? What's the premise? It is essentially, and, and I hate to distill it to uh, this point, but it basically talks about how uh, and it's written by a guy named Gavin DeBecker, by the way. Um, he's not, I do not agree with his opinion on guns. Let, let me be clear about that. Yep. But um, his idea is essentially that we have been conditioned over the years to ignore that sense of fear that we all have uh, developed over years and years of evolution, right? Now, the reason I bring up the gift of fear is because it addresses some of the trends that we've seen and um, home break-ins, right? So I absolutely, uh, both of you guys, I have, I have a security system at home. Um, I have a digital one, but the one that I absolutely use every single night is a 40 pound mini Aussie. A mini Aussie? A mini Australian Shepherd. Oh, okay. I thought it was going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, yeah. I was. I was. Gonna say, that's that's definitely. Um, I don't have a dog currently. Uh, my we had to put our dog down a few years ago, and I have right. young kids. But I'm sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, it was it was heartbreaking. Truthfully, truthfully. Um, but I but I love the idea of a dog, and it doesn't have to be a, a you know a killer dog. It just needs to be a dog, right? A dog that makes so. Noise. That's what uh, Gavin found in his research. One of the things that you're looking at in someone who's breaking into a house, right? Now, let's just assume that it's a random break-in, right? And there's no one who has personal intentions on you. You haven't entered into some kind of vendetta, and there's not a serious situation that that specifically involves you, right? You you cut this guy off in traffic, and he's going to follow you home, and then later on tonight, he's going to kick your door in, right? It's not one of those scenarios. If you just have a random break-in, criminals are going to look for that place where they have the least amount of risk, 
for the maximum amount of gain. And if there's a dog that raises hell at your door, they're yeah. going to go somewhere else. Right. And, and, and not the just because of the noise, but they, they might found, just be afraid of getting bit. Oh, sure. It, you know, unless it's like an ankle biter, right? But yeah. even then, who wants to put up with that? <laughs> no, um, not for it. Because no. the reality is somebody is probably going to wake up if they're there and they're going to hear that yapping. So what is this person going to do? And, and I think it's in the 90th percentile. They're going to go somewhere else. And again, this goes back to the onion, which is, you know, we've done the outside. We've made it kind of inconvenient. We've got we've got lights. We've got, you know, cameras. Now you got a barking dog. They don't care about that. Now there's an alarm going off. You know, now you have. Yeah. Where should I stage my firearms? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> well, this is. uh this was kind of fun for me because... It, well, is it, you know, I guess conceptually it's it's controversial, right? It really depends. Um, for me, it's not controversial, but I have to make a provisional statement here and that, um, listener, you should follow the laws of your local jurisdiction by uh, all <laughs> means. Okay. Sure. And assessing, now, and assessing your household, right? Like if you don't have kids, right. if you have kids that are young, you got to take that into consideration. Okay. So if you have kids that are young, you should take them shooting and they should know that if you leave a firearm laying 100%. on the kitchen counter, 100%. which happens frequently in my home, then um, they should know not to mess with it. Or if they do have to move it for whatever reason, how to do so in a safe manner, remove the mystery from firearms. That's just a little, um, no, no, we <laughs> totally agree. We, we talk about that a lot on the show. Um, a little soapbox for yeah. me. Yeah. I do believe in like lock boxes with like digital codes and stuff. Absolutely. I, do like that. I love yeah, yeah, that yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of really good products out there now. Well, um, concealment furniture is cool, man. I, I oh, want some yeah. of that. Yeah, but the reality is, okay, um, I don't want something concealed. I don't want something um, that is going to take any amount of time for me to get ready. Because if someone attacks but some of them are pretty quick, Sean. I mean, I got to be honest, some of them are really quick. It absolutely is. Right now, you, you can install those really cool deep screws and you can upgrade your hardware. But if you leave rocks in your exterior of your um, landscaping and you have one of those really nice tall windows next to your door, yeah. guess what? You just provided me with a key to open <laughs> your door and all I got to do is break that glass. Now, what kind of no notification are you going to receive that I'm breaking into your home? It's going to be the shattering of glass and me opening your door and I'm in. And um, if you have to get a fob or if you have to just pick up a gun and approach me, then that's going to be, you know, something that you should take into consideration. Yeah. Where, so where do you recommend, I mean, gun by the bedside, maybe a gun well, in almost, the main living area. It almost sounds like, you know, you obviously have your, your go-to firearm in your room or your bedroom, like a, you know, a fingerprint, something, you know, something right close by, you know, but maybe this firearm staging is more of a layer, more of like, if you get in a situation where you're being, you know, taken into a hostage situation, you know, maybe then you could, you know, have advantage over having something staged that you didn't, maybe not your, maybe not your primary firearm that you would go to if, if something happens, but a secondary or, or a third. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, of like floors. You know, I like one in my bedroom yeah. near me, 
and I don't have one currently, but it's something that's in the works of something on the main floor, something mm-hmm. in the living room, near the living room, and you know something where if I'm not up on the second floor, I could get to relatively quickly. You know. Well, and again, you've got to go back to risk assessment, right? Mm-hmm. If you really think for a second that your front door is your greatest liability, that's that's entirely a possibility. Um, I think that COVID has changed things. Um, there was a time when burglaries were starting to happen during the day because people were out at work. Mm-hmm. But I think that's shifting a little bit now. I, I don't have current trends, but um, I suspect that with as many people being at home, burglaries are down a little bit or they're happening more at night in places where people are able to do some um, yeah. reconnaissance yeah. and figure out that you're not there. But look at your home and think about where someone might come in. You know, a lot of us have sliding glass doors. And um, those are great for when you're grilling or you just want to step out on the patio or whatever. But man, uh, a rock can get you into a house pretty quickly. So you need to have contingencies in your planning about how you're going to confront threats, where they're most likely going to come from, and how where you're going to stage to confront that threat. Sean, do you have any experience with, uh, I've seen... Um window film film yes that would prevent- it's pricey i think but i do think that's cool but it's pricey yeah, I, I, I uh i i have i know a friend who does restore installs okay. that not only on cars but in, you know commercially and, okay and he's showed me it, and it's really cool yeah it works yeah. i don't have any uh personal experience but what we're talking about right now is in so many ways right security always battles with convenience yeah that's one of the things that we're always having to toss back and forth right but in a scenario where you're sleeping in your home in a pervasive environment and you are doing something to try to harden your home then that's a good investment because what are you buying for yourself with with each investment time in that case yeah, right? it's going to give you some it's not time. it's not perfectly impenetrable but it buys you time i mean all exactly all of these things are not i mean we're even self admitting we don't do all of these things but sure, hopefully sure. our you know as a listener you can yeah. take some of these things and and pick and choose a few and put them on a list work towards them and i'm going to give you right. one more that's a freebie here uh, and Sean, i think you'll agree with this but you tell me if you don't you, you did all this right. You built your onion. You got your layers. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, and this happened to me, I think I've told it on the air before, but you know something's going to go boom. Something's going to go bang in the middle of the night. You have to have a plan on you, your spouse, you know, whatever, how you're going to deal with 911 and responding officers. You can't yep. just wing that. You got to know. My wife knew to tell them. I was telling her, tell them what I'm wearing. Tell them that I'm armed. Tell them I'll respond. You know, I'll do whatever the officers say. Like, mm-hmm. you don't want to get yeah. shot. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to get hurt. So you got to know what your plan is. And if there's another adult in the house, you have to have your, you know, you have to have your plan in place and know what each other's going to do because, 911, you know, they don't know what's going on. The officers don't know what's going on. You got to be able to to give them that information to help them. Sure. Sure. And if we're talking about that point, then let's talk about a couple other things that are important. Uh, You got to have that plan. Uh, I I can tell you that many years ago, my wife woke me up after I'd gotten in off a shift and she said, there's banging around the front of the house. And uh, we didn't have a dog at the time. Uh, We were kind of in between, but, um, I knew that recently a wildlife officer who lived 
just a couple blocks from me had his vehicle broke, his patrol vehicle broken into and a rifle stolen. So I was up, I was alert. I had a, a gun and I was at the door and the, and the, this is the fun thing about law enforcement wives. One of the fun things about law enforcement wives, I stacked up on the door like I was about to breach into a uh, SWAT raid, right? <laughs> and I dipped three times with my knees and she ripped the door open and I came out and I was right on top of a black bear. Oh, no. oh man. That can happen in our neighborhood. Definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah, it definitely happens. And um, the, the fun thing about that that I, that I want to collect here is that because we had a plan uh, and because she knows how I operate, she knew exactly what to do. And you scared and- the shit out of that black bear. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there was a moment where uh, one of us had to make a decision. And I realized as I stepped off of the top two steps that I was right in his grill and I was not going to stop. And he was either going to run or I was going to open fire and I started hissing like, like, like a giant tire leaking air. And thankfully he thought better of it and ran. So um, that was a good story. (laughs) That's great. Well, I want to thank you, Sean, for coming on the show and sharing all your years of experience and, uh, you know, kind of imparting some knowledge on everything from search and rescue to obviously security plans. And, you know, it's, uh, it's always fun when we can sort of share with the listeners and, Give them some ideas of how they can improve their situations, whether it be, you know, get home bags and all this other cool stuff. But, you know, I, I like to kind of share with people and let them uh, decide what they want to spend their resources on. And, you know, get, getting that expertise from someone with your years uh, is definitely uh, helpful. So thank you. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. A lot of fun talking to you, Sean. Great conversation. To everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in the show notes to all of our social media, so be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter so we can keep the conversation going.